This episode is brought to you by the McDonald's one two three dollar menu. It's hard to have a friend who's a slow eater because when you finish your McChicken sandwich, watching them finish their McDouble cheeseburger and small fries can be excruciating until they notice you staring and offer up a few fries. That must be what friends are for. There's a deal for every moment on the McDonald's one two three dollar menu. Get a McChicken sandwich, McDouble cheeseburger, four piece chicken McNuggets, or small fries for just a few bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any offer or combo meal. This episode is brought to you by HP Plus. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP Plus, and the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are, even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh? That is smart. HP Plus. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com/smart. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 76 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. For this episode, we welcome Tanner Jones of You Blew It. You Blew It have been around since 2009 and released albums on Top Shelf, Jade Tree, and soon triple crown records they'll be releasing abendrot on november 11th of this year i've had a chance to listen to the full album and it doesn't sound like anything else you blew it have done and that's a good thing this is a giant leap for not only the band but the independent scene itself evan weiss of intuit over produced the album and you can hear his fingerprints all over it one of my favorite bands from the scene and one you should take a second look at if you haven't support the uh, podcast by going to washedupemo.com and clicking on the patreon link buy some great emo great again t-shirts at washedupemo.threadless.com or just leave a nice review on itunes if you want this is episode 76 of the washed up emo podcast with tanner jones of you blew it about some of these bands and that sort of scene um the band started uh well being in florida we always like to say that um florida receives all the trends like five years after they start so we were we had no idea that um you know like snowing was doing stuff up in philly and street uh, street smart cyclists and you know all those bands algernon um and then algernon toured through florida in 2010 and that's when we were like wait a minute like this is a thing like like we're not as original as we thought we were which it, like sounds like a bad thing but um yeah once we saw them at a house we're like this is actually something that is happening and then we just it just picked up steam from there that's cool Mm -hmm. the what what were some of the things happening was it everyone what did everyone see the show and sort of start forming bands where their kids started making zines i'm kidding because no one it's not paper no one knows what that is (laughs) no there are there are a lot of um a lot of crust punk zines in in florida in orlando especially um but yeah i I guess it, it those things existed around us but I don't know if um, I don't know if we necessarily knew about it. I guess it was just kind of an eye-opening experience. Like once, like at that Algernon show, we met this other band called Lowly Worm, who was from Orlando. Um, and then they opened our eyes to other bands, a band called Bestiari from Orlando that also did that style of music. So, um, yeah, I guess we were just oblivious to the whole thing. <laughs> Which is kind of embarrassing to say, but it's the <laughs> truth. <laughs> no, I was, I was talking to um, someone from Modern Baseball, and they had no clue about 90s emo. They had no idea 
when someone talked to him about it. Literally really? Zero clue until someone was like, no, it's this, this, and this. So again, you think in the internet age, mm-hmm. you have access to everything. You still yeah. have to have someone show you. Yeah. So who, you gotta have that big brother. Or who else was friend. showing you stuff then? Um, uh, I had a really good friend in high school who would, uh, he got me into saves the day. He got me into, and that, that started the whole thing with, you know, Thursday North star. Um, and, uh, when he, he moved to New York. Um, so I was kind of set. I, I lost like that, that, you know, like I said, that big brother figure or the guy who, uh, is in the record store and tells you what to listen to. So I kind of lost that figure. Um, and then, uh, the guy we started the band with, um, Matt Missouri, uh, he got, he showed me American football back in 2009. And then that was, you know, the ball started rolling and rolling and rolling. So I guess him, I guess that's the best answer. Yeah. Yeah. The American football thing's hilarious. Mm -hmm. I did not think that was going to happen from that record. I got the record, loved two songs on it, Mm -hmm. put it on the shelf. I love Kinsella. Fantastic. I had no idea that it would be this record that would be, I call it the stairway to heaven Mm -hmm. emo, like (laughs) never meant like if you don't play it, (laughs) people kind of like the the show didn't end yet. Um, was there, um, like what, do you know why that record was so much for the certain generation? Um, I don't know. I think it's just like, uh, for me personally, it was just what it, it was exactly what I was looking for because <laughs> my favorite part about the get up kids records and, uh, saves a day records. was like the more, like the parts that were a little bit more technical. I really loved our expandits because they're like one of the most technical, mm-hmm. like pop ish bands out there. Um, but some of it was a little bit too minor for my tastes back then, or maybe a little bit too abrasive or fit or fast. Um, and then I, I was a big Owen fan and then I heard American football. Um, and it had all that complexity, all that, like, um, it was just unique, um, to me at the time. So like those things really, and it was really hit home. So well, I think for the time, <sighs> well, okay. Yeah. I thought for yeah, the time, yeah. like it was, a lot of things you listen to it, it was like so thin mm-hmm. and that record felt so open. It does have, yeah, it does have a really nice warmth to it too. I guess that I haven't really considered, but yeah. That's yeah. cool. I, the, the, what happened after, um, 2009 for me mm-hmm. was a thousand emails of bands sounding like American football. Mm. So that I loved sense. when a band didn't sound mm-hmm. like them. Because I did, you know, I'm happy they all tried to do right. that, but it just seemed like every band was trying to sound like it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing to admire a band. Um, I mean, we're guilty of trying to sound like American football in certain songs too. <laughs> but um, I don't know. You got to separate yourselves from your uh, from your influences a little bit. You know, you got to be yourself. And then for you guys, I feel like you've always kind of tried to do that because being pigeonholed or mm-hmm. you're on a certain label. I mean, working at e- e- Equal Vision, I was just saw Bear versus Shark, and those guys mm-hmm. were. They were got offers to do tours with hardcore bands. They were an indie rock band. Yeah, yeah. So have you guys being on, you know, Top Shelf, Jade Tree now, Mm -hmm. uh, Triple Crown? It's like you know, kind of reinventing each time. Or is that how you? Is it conscious, or is it sort of been just you guys are getting older? Um, I'd say half and half. Um, Getting older has a lot to do with it. Um, You start to get a little bit. You start to feel a little bit juvenile playing the things that you wrote when you were 18 19 um you just like for us especially we just kind of want to explore more we know there's more out there than two guitars and a bass and drums um 
and I don't know, it just felt lazy to sit down again and like, you know, strum, um, I don't know, uh, move my fingers around in open tuning. Um, cause that got kind of easy to do stuff, to do stuff like that. Um, so I guess it was just a challenge. We wanted to, to challenge ourselves and I guess getting older and playing bigger venues with better sound is where you can hear yourself better. Instead of too. having to be just loud. Yeah. Just being loud. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that, I guess that is, uh, that's how we got here, I guess. Um, and then before we, I want to talk about the new record, but I thought because it's the Washed Up Emo podcast, do you remember hearing it when you first heard the word emo? Do you remember the, where you were? The first time or the, like the first time ever or the first time since first the time revival? Ever. First time ever. I don't remember, but I always wore this green early November shirt, and I suspect that I was wearing that shirt when someone brought it up to me. <laughs> like some older person at a show yelled, like pointed at you or Emo! something. Oh, yeah. Lord. That was, this the, it's the green um, early November and it had Jersey, and it said Hamilton, Blueberry Capital of the World. <laughs> yeah. Was there, I mean, in, in or Orlando, was there a negative scene to it? I mean, that's a huge hardcore mm-hmm. scene. You know, if it was Miami, the, all those cities, like, I mean, it kind of, was it negative? Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in Fort Myers, which is three hours south of Orlando, and we have we had a really big metal and metalcore scene. So, yeah, I'd say to an extent it was negative. I, I mean, we went through the whole arch. Like, um, my freshman and sophomore year, everyone was, uh, everyone was getting into emo. Everyone was like, oh, I love my chem. I love early November. I love... Um, say sin atreyu um and it was it was a good word it was a good word to have following you around and then by my junior senior year um you know and like the cute is what we aim for is and everyone started like got um, derivative a little cherry, bit. yeah cherry picking off that term um yeah it definitely got a little bit abrasive and then were you the you said freshman was, was that college or high school high school so and high then school. and then college is just like push away i'm pushing my arms away to the to illustrate those that are listening right now and you still are i'm yeah (laughs) do you have good feelings about it bad feelings like what are the um like being sometimes associated like sometimes mm -hmm. people get mad i tweet about a band Mm -hmm. really they're just like i don't want to be associated with that word and Uh, it's really interesting some of the you know feelings people get really really yeah caught up in it it's weird it's like it's 2003 again um it's in some sense it's a it's a badge of honor for sure um but i think we're getting around to that time again where um emo revival is turning into um a destination like somewhere that bands want to be so they try to emulate that and then i guess naturally that feels like a little dirty and a little tainted that they're doing it only to get this tag emo revival and um i feel like trying to avoid that or being labeled as a band that does that is a uh you know pretty desirable um because you know everyone just wants to be authentic well what i thought was interesting is the the amount of press that had happened mm-hmm. so fast. It was explosive. It was I could insane. not. I literally, my email, people were telling me left mm-hmm. and right. I'm sure you guys were feeling it. That time, I just got so scared being mm-hmm. like, this is too precious. Mm-hmm. Like, these bands are too good for you to put this one little label. Cause yeah. I didn't even know the term. Mm-hmm. I just knew the bands in Philly. Mm-hmm. Or I started feeling like, these bands, you guys would have fit right in in 97. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. fit right in. It just the same aesthetic, the same. I told that to Kevin at Top uh-huh. Shelf. Like you, you are you are a carbon copy, and that's a good thing. Thank you. No, I, I take that as a compliment. But that that sense of everyone's jumping on it. Mm-hmm. They're going to write the article, and then in two years they're onto something next, yeah. and not giving it the respect of giving a band three records to sort of cultivate yeah. and do those things. Like I, I want. I just feel like a lot of bands got left to the wayside mm-hmm. because. There was so much hype. Yeah, and I think I think you just described it way better than I ever could have. Where um, feeling feeling like a fad. No one wants to feel like a fad. Um, so I think that the word emo and emo revival harkens back to, instead of harkening back to '99 and before, it, it takes people back to 2014, and that's so recent that it feels like it's just a passing fad. No one wants to be that. Um, because the scene was, there was these connections that it was, the internet obviously makes mm-hmm. things a lot of quicker. You mm-hmm. and I can text, you and I can email yeah. instantly before email, or uh, excuse me, not maybe email or letters mm-hmm. where we saw each other at a show. There was a slower thing to it. It's so fast. It almost felt quicker that these bands were just getting all of a sudden, bang, there's mm-hmm. a Bandcamp account. Yeah. They're signed. They're on the, they're yeah. on the road. And like, I felt like it was a week sometimes. Mm-hmm. How did you feel seeing some of that uh in the moment it was awesome it was great you know because uh because it lifted it, everybody yeah it, it really brought the bar up and or the, i guess the what's the term the waters rise and so do all the ships or something yeah. like that um uh yeah that was really really great it was really great to be around that and see some of our best friends really take advantage of it like modern baseball like the first time we played with them was in a, a garage and they opened for us and then they got so big that we were had a tour scheduled with them um, and we, they're supposed to open, they were first of three, we were second of three and they leapfrogged us, which like, you know, as a 23, 24 year old, you get kind of jealous of that thing, that kind of thing. But it's still great to see your friends capitalizing on success that, um, and getting attention that, you know, they always deserved. Um, but yeah, uh, then it started, you know, like I said, people just started piggybacking on top of each other and one band would try to sound this way and the other band would try to sound this way. And then they'd all, they'd all tune to open F or open D or whatever. And then it just got, it got tiresome. Um, and I kind of feel a little bit bad for, I mean, I love bands like porches and car seat headrest, but, um, I feel like that's the kind of music that's going to be victim next. Um, Everyone hopped on the shoegaze thing. Everyone's hopping on like the garagey kind of Misky sound. And that new Misky record is incredible, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, Although I was going to say, are there bands that you're loving right now that people aren't paying attention to? Um, I'm I'm in a phase right now where I'm picking up all the records that I should have listened to when I was in high school, like the album Leaf. Um, oh my God. Can yeah. we just, let's just have a whole podcast about yeah. the album Leaf. We really should. Holy we shit. We really, really should. I have a story where I was supposed to see Album Leaf and there was a girl I really liked mm-hmm. in Boston and I ended up making out with her instead of going to the Album Leaf show <laughs> and I found out later that he was really bummed out that I didn't go. Really? And yeah, because it was like a friend got me on the list mm-hmm. and so I've always regret not going. Oh, it was at Berkeley man. School of Music too. Oh. Yeah, it was big, big time bummy. I mean... Have I you seen know. him since? Yeah. Okay, good. Ridiculous. Yeah, I can imagine. Those, those records are so expansive. Like I... Usually... 
you know, you listen to instrumental records and it's mostly things to like write to or like, you know, read a book to. But like I can you can sit and drive for seven hours listening to those records and it's just like you don't get bored. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Okay, good. Yeah. I'll only if you're finding my book. Yeah. What else? Um <laughs> The new Tycho came out today, by the way. No way, really? Yeah, which I found out this morning and that's all I did before you got here. I, I someone posted that the record cover. I was like, that's a good record cover. <laughs> um but yeah, I just got really into Aloha. Ah. Yeah. I really love that new record. Um, uh, Little Windows Cut Right Through, I think is what it's called. Um, yeah, they're another band that I'm really, really getting into again. Not again, for the first time. Um, are you listening to more albums or are you yeah. songs? Because I have trouble where... I'll get an email about a song and uh-huh. it's a SoundCloud link. And then someone sends me a Bandcamp link or so then I get a download from uh-huh. a publicist and it's a whole record or uh-huh. it's like I'm jumping around versus you taking something or mm-hmm. even downloading. Mm-hmm. Oh, I only download, I've only have 12 albums yeah. downloaded and now you have access to everything. Have yeah. you felt like I can't focus? No, no. The opposite actually. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. How do you do it? I don't know. It's just- <laughs> It's just I can't. It, oh man, it's one of those things. I I guess it was hammered into my head listening to because in uh, later high school I listened to a lot of Death Cab for Cutie, um, and bands where you really had to dedicate, you know, half an hour of your time to listen to the whole expanse of the record. Um, and I guess it just got hammered home in my head. And listening to CDs too, because it's hard to take a CD out of your car and flip to the next one just but because you want to listen to a song vinyl's that way for me if i put mm-hmm. on the vinyl oh yeah i can i'm sitting with it i'm listening to yeah it. yeah it's definitely a different experience i mean there have been a million conversations about the experience of vinyl but yeah very much different experience um the i was laughing too when i was looking at your wikipedia i always love looking to see oh it. yeah it's like what did it say? like emo like the first you know third mm-hmm. word in and i was like you know i didn't know if you were like ever look at that and be like sometimes, what is all this sometimes i do um one time I I went in to our Wikipedia and it, it was fresh. Someone had just made it. And that was always a benchmark for us. We're like, once we get our Wikipedia, once we get our Wikipedia. And someone did it and they left out um, a name of one of the guys that was in the band. And then I went in there and created an account and uh, changed it myself. And I know that's like the cardinal rule of Wikipedia. You're not supposed to change it yourself. Um, but I did. And then I got caught. I got caught by my friends because I was bragging about having a Wikipedia and they checked it. Oh, they realized that you did it. They checked on their phone and then I guess it has a log of who changes things and it said shoulder WHL and that's me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The internet. Yeah. That's, man, I am so glad I didn't have Instagram in college. I am so glad I didn't have any of that stuff. <laughs> I'd be so much more in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> well, because now they're doing that thing where um, it shows like the first, it shows kind of a preview of who liked it. It's like, you know, um, your friend and then your other friend liked this. And, uh, I'm like, Oh no. I'm like, Oh no. All my friends are going to see me liking like terrible memes. Like I just, when I, when I drink a little bit, I go on the search page and I just double tap all the memes, which I know (laughs) is a meme in itself, but it's embarrassing to see people like (laughs) people that you respect knowing that you really enjoy those types of things. Well, I think I have to think about my mom's on it. So, oh yeah. So my if mom I post too. something like one time, I think, I don't even remember what it was, something in California or something. And my mom, you know, um, wrote something like related. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how does she know? Oh, right. Yeah. The internet. There's a certain accountability these days <laughs> that I don't think I'm up to par with. No, no. Um, 
So I definitely the got to spend some time with the new record, and I'm stoked on it. Um, Thank you. Really, really interesting, and I'll say some kind of things and I want your thoughts on it. Okay. Yeah, I kind of liked it. that it was quieter. Yeah. Not as many chords. Mm-hmm. Um, what was pulling that so strongly? Like, um, versus, you know, single note versus chords. Um, uh, on Plans, the Death Cup for Cutie record, the first song, Marching Man's in Manhattan, um, I'd never realized it, um, but it's all the same progression it's all the same like three chords i think um and they create choruses and bridges just by adding things on top of it or changing a vocal melody and that was the most interesting thing to me um and i think that song in particular had a really big effect on the way we write because the song on there called greenwood is the same way it's the same bling bong bong bling Mm -hmm. um the entire time um and that was very interesting to us to do thing to something so simple yeah but to add enough to it where you don't realize yeah and that was just like such a mountain for us to climb because we're so used to just writing a riff and being like okay um let's play that four times and then new riff and then back to the other one and then another riff um so that type of creativity was something we weren't used to and that was like really 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 fun to try to overcome i mean a lot of the songs i felt were this sort of they they built they just built mm-hmm. on each other. It wasn't the verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus, right. chorus times two breakdown. Like that whole thing. It was this this expansive thing mm-hmm. building. Is that, is yeah. that something you guys were thinking about the whole time? Yeah, so for many sure. songs have that feel. Yeah. And a um, Sundial song does yeah. um forecasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, very uh very intentional trying to do that stuff. And then the listening to the album, it's one of those, again, like I think you were mentioning Death Cab. I wrote Death Cab a bunch of times, mm-hmm. too, when I was listening to it, so I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah. But that listening to the album, it doesn't hit you over the head. It has, And it's not that, you know, you hear the breakdown mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I got to go back to that jam. Uh-huh. It's more of a lean in. I needed to put headphones mm-hmm. on. I had to be close to yeah. it. Um, did you feel the same way when you were making it? I needed yeah. to be close. You don't have to be far. That same right. thing of loud, soft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we, a lot of that had to do with this. It, we took a month to record this record, whereas before we'd take a week to record a record. So trying to scramble and record all of our parts for Keep Doing What You're Doing um, was not really a nightmare, but it just felt like, you know, it just felt like, ah, so exhausting. We got to get all this in there. Um, and this time we really had time to sit down and plan it out Um and I think that that goes a long way, putting all that ear candy in there because you sit there and you think, you know, I could, I'd really love to play with the delay on this part. So you go and you record and you get what you want. And then that delay part leads to like, okay, maybe a shaker would sound good after like behind that. Um, so it's, it's very natural and organic and parts cool. building off of each other. So, yeah. And then experimenting in the studio, I, mean, I always think about, you know, Jimmy Eat World Clarity. Yeah. Like they had so much time yeah. and money and they were kind of, but again, it was, a, it was reserved. It wasn't mm-hmm. as if everything felt yeah. like there was a place. Mm-hmm. Um, was that, did you kind of feel sometimes where you're like, we have all this time. Like if we start, you know, really getting weird, uh-huh. like if the clown shows up, we got, we know that we're kind of <laughs> doing too much. Well, uh, it's, it's funny because, while the month did feel like a long time we there were parts where we were like oh man a month isn't a long time because we'd start um you know one thing we wanted to put on the record was an oboe we wanted to have um 
like I'm really influenced by like a lot of Copeland um, and Copeland has like that oboe and yeah. all those, all those instrumentation on it. And we really wanted to try to get that in as kind of an homage. Um, but you know, you start to run out of time you start to rely on a little bit of other um, auxiliary instrumentation. Was that yeah. with, now you mentioned kind of some stuff about being stressful mm-hmm. and was it, was it something that you were trying to deal with having, you know, this much time and not, you know, being someone that wants to everything right. Was mm-hmm. it, was, was it, were you learning how to let go? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause you know, like I said, we went in there with really big expectations as far as, um, I guess instrumentation goes and we definitely met that expectation, but, um, there, you know, there are little things you want to do. Like I wanted to put more vibraphone on the record. Um, but that's a lot of times you have like these kind of selfish things that you want to do. Like, that was mine. I wanted a lot of vibraphone and I was a little bit grumpy about it. And then you start to realize that like, you know, you can't force these things. You can't force those things on there. Um, sundial song would have sounded like shit with vibraphone on it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a little victory. Yeah. You definitely got to let go of your ego, which I think we learned how to do on this one. That's great. And then again, the, the, I've had a lot of bands, a bunch kind of off record on record talk about mental health mm-hmm. and sort of them music is a way to deal with it, but mm-hmm. also learning how to be own up and learning how to deal with it. Is that something that you had learned sort of from this or did you, you know, helping you? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, what was that journey? Like, was it this aha moment or was I have to do this or, um, it was gradual. I'm, I'm a, admittedly a really bad perfectionist, um, especially when it comes to art and songwriting. Um, so writing the record, uh, was really kind of taxing because we allowed ourselves so much time. We, we wrote it for a year, year and a half. Wow. And, um, a lot of time to sit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I call the music musicians curse. You write a riff and you, you love it. And then four seconds later you hate, hate it. it. So having all that time was definitely a little bit of a curse. Um, and being a perfectionist, you start to kind of drive yourself crazy. So being in the studio for a month with Evan and Matt and this guy, Adam Beck, um, was really, really nice because getting that outside perspective saying, no, you don't need vibraphone on this. We don't need to call in an oboe player. This organ works fine. Like you're going to, you're going to really love this to have someone like that. Just say that to you, um, was really, really great. Um, so yeah, I guess I learned a little bit how to deal with it myself and then Evan, and everyone else just hammered at home, which is really nice. Right. I mean, you were able to sort of identify it and not have mm-hmm. it hinder things, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, the other part too, I thought the, you know, working with Evan, um, it's someone that's in the scene. Mm-hmm. He understands that. What was it like working with Evan from into it over it with mm-hmm. this? Well, we did, um, we did keep doing what you're doing with him. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. There's and, only so much emo I can, uh, <laughs> I can remember. <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, and that record is, um, kind of the opposite of what this record is because there's three guitars always playing. Yes. Um, which is a <laughs> lot. We let everyone have their part. We let everyone do what they wanted to do. Um, just capo it, man. Yeah. Capo it. You're good. Just go. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so this one, yeah, like you said, was definitely a, a practice of restraint. Yeah. Um, and then, um, what, what did he bring to the table that, for this specific oh. record that you guys didn't f- think would happen yeah. or well um i think he he grew 
in the way that we grew. Um, he just did that, that record, um, in, uh, San Francisco at, um, tiny telephone. Um, who's a the producer there? Vanderslice with Vanderslice. Yes. Um, <laughs> for those of you listening, Fred Feldman of triple crown records is sitting in the room with us and he just, uh, he gave me my line on that one. Just if you ever watch like a baseball game and the announcer always has all the stats, yeah. that's what he is right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had to fact check that, fact check that one. Um, but yeah, he went in with Vanderslice and I guess um, Vanderslice really opened his eyes to a lot of things. And then he took that knowledge and gave it to us. Like one thing he said that he kept repeating was, um, we came in and we're like layers, layers, layers. Let's put layers on this record. And uh, Evan's like, you know what Vanderslice told me was if you listen to Transatlanticism, you expect that to be a huge record, like with 25 tracks on each record. Um, but he's like, if you listen to it at any one moment, there's only three things going on that isn't vocals. It's like bass, guitar, drums, or uh, bass, shaker drums, something like that. Um, and it, <laughs> that was a big... Uh, that was a big, big thing that he brought to the table. Just so that kind that of restraint. brought you instead of you guys saying, I want all this sound. I want mm-hmm. 17 things. It was like, let's do four. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He put the cap on things, which I, I think really went a long way. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then any, any plans of, I've only, I've only seen the cover. Um, that's all you've released, but mm-hmm. like any visuals or themes that you guys are thinking about for the record as you're, you know, has it things mm-hmm. float around your head of, oh, I have this video idea or I have this thing to do yeah, this? Yeah, well, um, well, we call it the puddle. Um, uh, the record cover is, uh, for those of you that don't have it in front of you, it's a it's a dark blue background with a rectangle and, like, fingers coming out. And the rectangle is, has, like, this beautiful gradient on it. Um, Charlie Miller from Platoon did it. Wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, but uh, it's... What that's supposed to be is a puddle reflecting the sky or, or you know, the Avendron. Avendrut. Uh, <laughs> I think I said that right. Um, so just that idea of uh, taking in your external stimuli and putting that back out, reflecting it, um, was a big theme on the record. Um, so I think we're going to go a lot with the puddle. Um, because yeah, it just fits. Cool. Yeah. And then I had some songs that I wanted to go through because I thought if you if you want to, mm-hmm. yeah. So absolutely. I mentioned Sundial Song, mm-hmm. Swell and Peaks. There's not a verse chorus, which I really like. Yeah. Yeah. Was that obviously everything uh-huh. I'm saying? You're like, was that meaningful? Yes, of course, Tom. <laughs> um, the song you released that everybody's heard, Auto Theology. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that it doesn't sound like anything you've ever done. Yeah. We're, we're, which was that obviously marketing speak uh-huh. in my mind. That's a great thing to let out first. Yeah. Because you're like, just you wait. Uh huh. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Hugh, um, that start that that's the start of a Jimmy Eat World song. Yeah, we we in the studio in the studio we're like oh we're like we heard the drums we heard the acoustic guitar, um, yeah definitely. Uh, I had all it, caps compliment. It's a compliment. Yeah, no, it was It sounds like a Jimmy World. Yeah, song. for sure. It wasn't um, it wasn't intentional. But when we realized it, we're like. Fuck you know what? We love that band. We're going <laughs> to keep it. Yeah. Cares. Yeah. Jim wouldn't care. Yeah. Um, uh, the, I really like forecasting that building part about those. Mm-hmm. Are, that's some of my favorite types of songs. Um, what is that about? The, there was some really 
striking lyrics in that. I just didn't know if you had any backstory to it. Um, a lot of the record is about, um, it's kind of meta actually, because, uh, around that time, like I said, being a perfectionist writing the record, uh, I kind of collapsed in onto myself. Um, I started seeing a therapist around then because, uh, just being neurotic about things that I created was definitely not healthy. Um, and a lot of the songs were about writing the record about the feelings of writing that record. And that one is definitely no exception. What did you like about the therapy? I've done therapy. I think Mm -hmm. it's fantastic. Everybody should. There's enough people to talk to for zero money or however you can Mm -hmm. afford. What was it that you liked most about it? Um, you know, things crop up in your head that you can talk to people about, but there's always that, um, little tick in there knowing that someone is going to look out for your best interests. And sometimes if you're talking to a friend, they're going to tell you what you want to hear, which is good in the moment. But just knowing that you can talk to and receive advice from someone who is doing it from a professional manner and, uh, from a totally objective standpoint, um, I feel like that goes a very, very long way. And are are you still going or is that something? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I think it's really important. People go to the gym to work out their bodies. So you got to go and maintain your mind. What it's been really great, I think, you know, the if it's Michael from Somos, I, I'm gonna if I forgot it's the singer, say, yeah, yeah, Michael. So he had talked about it and mm-hmm. just being really important in something, and I loved that everyone's talking about it mm-hmm. because I really hope that someone hears and and maybe they're not or they don't want to talk mm-hmm. to their parents or someone's open enough because my parents obviously weren't yeah being mine too open. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that mm-hmm. much. Wasn't mm-hmm. like the people I was listening to or seeing were talking about it. So that you guys are being open and outward about it, I really hope that next group of kids is going to be okay yeah. with calling someone and yeah. being like, "I'm going to say something" or "I'm going to figure this out." Yeah, and I've I've heard multiple times. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that we're the most medicated generation, which you can look at as a bad thing and a good thing. Um, and I think that I prefer to look look at it in the optimistic way that. You know, I'm sure everyone throughout time has always had mental issues, but it was so taboo generations before to go and talk to someone because you came across as a weakling. Um, Whereas now um, I feel like people are seeking out that help and really getting, you know, um, getting to talk and let things out that they really should. Um, The my favorite song on the record, Mm -hmm. Basin and Range. Oh, thank you. Uh, Death Cab for Cutie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Straight up. But that's a compliment and also Thank something you, that way we've talked earlier and mm-hmm. how you're kind of those individual pieces or those four, mm-hmm. it seemed like that one really came together. Um, anything about that one that people should know or feel? Or That was, um, that we, we essentially wrote that one in the studio. We had two songs that were unfinished that just weren't like there yet when we came into the studio. So we took the best parts of each and combined them into one and then... Um, I guess that's a story based on a range. We kind of built upon, it wasn't like, you know, piecemeal from each song. We'd go, let's take this riff. We'll play it. It sounds like it could go into this part. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, you know, what's missing. And then that's how the big, big, big ending came. Um, it was supposed to be just like this really minimal kind of outro. Um, but you know, just having fun in the studio, turn it into yeah, a huge, exactly. huge thing. And then kerning, I really think it's really soft, beautiful, like something that, um, and I mean, I'm just, I just love kind of looking at this list, even the ones that I picked out, they're all different. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not yeah. the 
three guitars at once right. for the whole time. Yeah. Um, and I think this is really what I've loved about this scene. And I, I think for you guys, I'm happy that you took this leap mm-hmm. because a lot of times it's, you know, shut up and play the hits, give me the <laughs> riff. Um, you know, I've seen certain bands that, you know, it's like, they have five songs and that's it. And those are kind of what they kind of go to yeah. each of those five types yeah. of songs. And I think for you guys to take a leap like this is a big jump. And I'm happy that you're doing that because it you. needs it. Cause there's a, I want these, you guys are going to progress mm-hmm. through it. It's not going to seem baseline. Yeah. And th- thank you for saying that. But, um, I think that a lot of the credit, uh, also goes to the scene, like the scene that we are in, um, because it makes it really easy to do those kind of things because um, everyone that we hang around and everyone that I feel like listens to our music is very open and very um, eager for a band to progress and build upon themselves. Um, whereas other ones that might not be so easy, pop punk, pop punk. Cause I feel like, you know, in, in that scene, a lot of people just want to hear the four chords that they heard the last record arranged differently. Um, That's what was so smart when I heard it was the hotelier or I heard mm-hmm. foxing. And I was like, holy shit, mm-hmm. these kids are a little more progressed. Yeah. This isn't the, they're listening to not mm-hmm. just this, the p- hardcore yeah. punk. They, they're listening to stuff that's a little bit, not older, but mm-hmm. just deeper. You had, to, you had to dig. Yeah, yeah. And being around those people, um, like I said, I feel like they and the fans deserve as much credit as we do. Yeah, I, again, I think we're at a really good spot where... I hope that the press is still there mm-hmm. and they don't keep using the word emo. Yeah. I hope that it's the independent scene. It's this independent sound mm-hmm. that's progressing. And you're right. A modern baseball lifts everybody up. Fox and getting bigger. You mm-hmm. guys do. You can take on other folks and hopefully people are looking at that mm-hmm. versus the, I mean, I, I, when I was looking at bands, I wanted to feel like it was something different mm-hmm. and I was actually progressing. And I think that a lot of times um, people, there's a group of people that don't want that. Mm-hmm. They just want the same thing, and yeah. that's okay. I don't associate with yeah. that. Um, but I think for you guys to do this leap again, you're right. It's a product of the mm-hmm. scene as well. Yeah, that there's a there's a lane for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, um, Ian Cohen, I think I'm quoting him correctly. He said um, that emo is just indie rock with different vocals and or subject matter. I think he's the one that said it, but like that really hit home, you know, um, bands getting pigeonholed because their, uh, vocal delivery is a little bit different than, I don't know, like I said, Aloha or, or Death Cat for Cutie, um, seems a little bit unjust. Um, but I think we're he- really headed in the right direction. You know, like you said, Foxing Hotelier, Sorority Noise, and do it over it. Um, everyone is building upon what they did and, trying to transform themselves into something different, which um, I think is a, a very, very good thing. Can only can only be a good thing. Cool. That was it? Yeah. Anything else? Um, let me check. Uh, is there anything else that... Ugh. What? Go Everton. They tied, though. <laughs> Soccer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a sh- I have a shit time. I, my team is in the championship. Yeah. So I have to follow how, on the radio. How are they doing? Uh, we're uh, 12th in the table. We played a, we play Saturday. 
Okay. Uh, the, uh, the later game, not the 10 o'clock. Because the championship starts a couple weeks before yes. Premier League, so right? So we'll be before, we'll be done before. Okay. There's a friend that's a Sunderland fan, and I just keep sending him <laughs> championship teams to let him know who you're playing next year. It's, uh, it's hard. Yeah, Fulham, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good old visit Florida's. Exactly. Yeah. Con. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's actually a pretty good owner. Like, I, people are happy with him. Uh-huh. Good. Good. I hope to see them back in the Premier League soon. Uh, come on. <laughs> come on. You got to have hope. Zero hope. <laughs> cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for letting me do this.